0: Back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 476. Bass smiled. You sound like a pirate when you say it that way, Reshi. He gave the chest a speculative look from across the room. I suppose asking you for the keys is out of the question? He asked at last. Correct, Kvothe said. For our purposes, assume I have lost the keys. Better yet, assume I am dead, and you are now free to pry into all my secret things. That's a little grim, Reshi, Bast reproached gently. Life's a little grim, Bast, Kvost said without any hint of laughter in his voice. You'd best start getting used to it. He waved a hand toward the chest. Go on, I'm curious to see how you go about cracking this little chestnut. Bast gave him a flat look. Puns are worse than book lessons, Reshi, he said, walking over to the chest. He nudged it idly with his foot, then bent and looked at the two separate lock plates, one dark iron, one bright copper. Bast produced the rounded lid with a finger, wrinkling his nose. I can't say as I care for this wood, Reshi, and the iron lock is possibly unfair what a useful lesson this has already been quoth said dryly you've deduced a universal truth things are usually unfair there aren't any hinges either fast exclaimed looking at the back of the chest how can you have a lid without any hinges That did take me a while to work out, Quoth, admitted, with a touch of pride. Bass got down on his hands and knees and looked into the copper keyhole. He lifted one hand and pressed it flat against the copper plate. Then he closed his eyes and went very still, as if he were listening. After a moment of this, he leaned forward and breathed against the lock. When nothing happened, his mouth began to move. While his words were spoken too softly to hear, they carried an undeniable tone of entreaty. After a long moment of this, Bass sat back on his haunches, frowning. Then he grinned playfully and reached out with a hand and knocked on the lid of the chest. It made barely any noise at all, as if he were wrapping his knuckles against a stone. Out of curiosity, Foth asked. What would you do if something knocked back? Bass came to his feet, left the room, and returned a moment later with an assortment of tools. He got to one knee and, using a piece of bent wire, fiddled with the copper lock for several long minutes. Eventually, he began to curse under his breath. When he shifted position to get a different angle, his hand brushed the dull iron faceplate of the lock and he jerked back hissing and spitting getting back to his feet bass threw down the wire and brought out a long end of the page i'm nick i'm jordana i'm jeremy i have a silly theory and i don't agree with it but i think it's worth mentioning and and the reason i mention it is this is exactly how i messed with a uh, people in the D&D game that I led because I gave them a box that was locked that they couldn't open because if they cracked the lock, the box would explode. And the way that you open the box is you just lift it because there's no bottom. (laughs) Like, what if this Ah, is just, like, the box is really complicated and it has no hinges because it doesn't need a hinge, but it's because you can just lift it up. Like, the whole box is that doesn't have a bottom on the bottom. It's just a lid.
1: I think it would be fitting if it actually has a very simple solution, but something about it, you know, forces you to not consider it. But I I can't imagine what that might be.
2: I can. But first of all, I must say, Jordana, your theory is great. But on the next page, we find out that the box is incredibly heavy. It weighs like 400 pounds.
0: Well, bye. And also
1: Quoth himself fails to open it later in the book. Which is interesting because he made it
2: right like that's the that's what we are given to understand which is i think new information to us that he made the box he didn't find it
1: yes um i also think it is rich with import that he says to bast how would you go about opening it uh assume i lost the keys which suggests to me there are no keys and then he says assume i am dead which maybe suggests that you know he plans to be dead what i'm sort of getting at here is that i wonder if he intends for the box to be opened after he is gone if he does want Bast to open it and he's starting to kind of train him into thinking about it
2: and or what if he has for whatever reason lost the information on how to open this box what if somebody made him forget and he's trying to get he's already tried to open it and failed he like can't figure out how to do it and he's like I wonder if Bast could do it maybe Bast would have an idea that I won't and he tries to get back he's actually hoping that Bast can get it done
1: What I'm wondering is, what if he knows perfectly well what is required to open it, but he has lost the ability to do so? What if it requires music to open it or something like that? Like, what if there's something that he has removed from himself so he's, like, no longer able to do it, and that's what the solution is?
2: That would make sense, especially if it's a box that he only ever intended for himself to be able to open, right? He would obviously make the lock something that only he could do.
1: Yeah, I mean, the sense I get is that it was never intended to be open. I sort of think that this is the new lackless box that Quoth has, whatever whatever was contained inside the lackless box, which Quoth did figure out how to open, he has resealed it in here and made it even safer somehow.
2: See, to me, thematically, the opening of the box, and I mean, I will grant up front that this may be what Rathus is fainting towards and he's going to pull the rug out for under us, but like thematically what this box represents to me is like Quoth's heroic identity. So what it would make sense to me is in here is like his, his power and like, whether that is literally like his 10 rings and his cloak of no particular color and his, like his sword and all, all his cool stuff, or if it's a more metaphysical, you know, represent like his groove, if it's his mojo, uh, you know, that's what I think is ultimately in the box.
1: Well, both can be, I think both can be true because what if in the current Lackless box is somebody else's power, is Celitose's or Haliax or Lanra's power or Lyra's power is in that box. And by opening it, he causes some, you know, calamity. And the only way to solve the calamity is to strip himself, is to do the same ritual to himself that was done to, to Haliax and then put it in the box. You know, what if the world needs a Haliax or something like that? Or what if the world needs a Chandrian? The world needs Chandrian. And so by destroying the Chandrian, Quoth has done something to the world. So he has to become a Chandrian in order to save it.
0: Oof, that is a lot. But not like, not a read that I dislike.
2: Yeah, well, one thing that I'm kind of thinking of in reading this book uh, this week is it does kind of remind me of like Unforgiven and other movies like Unforgiven that are critiques of the genre that ultimately the world has moved on from the kinds of heroism that are required by the genre. So in Unforgiven, it's like, you know, a a cowboy, our hero is kind of washed up, bitter. He's not the man he used to be. And maybe that's for the best, but ultimately in order to save the day, he has to go on like one last adventure and like become the person he used to be, even if that will be personally damaging to him or her, like that's what is required to like save the day. And like, those are the kinds of vibes I'm getting from this. Cause it seems kind of like Cloth has like a nostalgia for his, his old life and the days when he was like, uh, you know, a hero and an important person, but it's not as clear if he would want to go back to being that person.
0: But Bast wants him to be that
2: person. Well, yeah. And in in stories like Unforgiven, there is often a younger character who is very much like the hero when the hero was a young person who wants them to come out of retirement and or show them how to be a big hero. And the hero is like, no, like you don't want this. It's only going to bring you misery and pain. Uh, It's not going to give you the kind of life you think you want.
1: I strongly feel that whatever's going on with the box, it is a a form of magic that we've seen before. I think that, you know, Rothfuss plays this trick a lot where he teaches us sympathy and then does something clever with sympathy so that we can nod along and say, oh, that was clever because we understand it. And I suspect that whatever's going on with the box and whatever's going on with Haliax and the Chandrian, it's all sympathy. It's all magic that we are training as readers to understand so that when we understand eventually when it's revealed what's been done it all makes sense within those rules and we understand why it needs to be a box for example or we understand why you know why Haliax is in shadow because like a light on him is sympathetically linked to something else or or something like that like I that's I don't know what that would be but that's what I'm hoping and what I suspect it's going to get to
2: I would find that disappointing and mundane because I think the point that sympathy serves in the story is that it is deconstructivist version of magic where it's like magic isn't actually magic. It's not actually mysterious and unknowable. There are rules to it. And I think that it's meant to serve as a contrast to actual magic, which is naming. And if we find out that there is no actual magic, that it's all sympathy, which isn't really magic as far as I'm concerned, I will find that annoying. But the idea that occurred to me is like, well, why wouldn't you just name the box and tell it to open, right? And when Bast, it's not clear that Bast is doing naming, but he does whisper into the lock, right? He does, I think he's doing some kind of fey magic.
1: Yes, I also think it's telling that that's one of the first thing he tries. Before he tries mundane means, like picking the lock, he tries to do fey mojo on it.
2: Yeah, well, why wouldn't you try to do it the easy way instead of the hard way if you could?
1: Exactly. Uh, the last thing I want to bring up is that it's been theorized that the box, well, it's it's explicit later in this chapter that the box is made of Roa wood, um, but it has been theorized that Roa is the tree that the, chan- uh, the Chandran, that the Cathaya sits in, and so there's something about the properties of Roa that, like, trap things.
2: Mm-hmm. And that might be why Bast goes, I don't like this wood.
0: The wood that the sword is on, is that also Roa or no?
1: It might be. I need to I need to look at that. Listeners, write in and tell us, is the sword Folly mounted on Roa? Because my book's, my copy of Name of the Wind is over there and I don't want to go get it.
0: I did an art of Folly and the wood is a very dark color, but it's not black. Oh, it is black. I just found the art. All right, uh, I have, let's see, it says the descriptor for the piece of art is Folly resting on her Roa mounting board above the bar. So Folly is on Roa. So if the chest is Roa and Folly is on Roa, there's a connection there that we can't ignore.
1: Yes. Um, Looking at the Kingkiller Chronicle wiki, it seems that uh, while not explicitly Roa, the mounting board's wood seems to be made of Roa. It seems to be the same color and and, uh, smell, so... I think we can reasonably believe that it is, in fact, mounted on roller wood.
2: Exciting!
1: It's all coming together. Another pin in the evidence dungeon wall.
2: All right. Well, uh, is there anything else on this page that we want to add to our, our Pepe Sylvia board? All done. No! Well, then, uh, listeners, you can pin us to your Pepe Sylvia board on tomorrow's page.
1: Uh, the
2: with <laughs>